On this episode, Jackson has good questions, and I remember why I hate math. Together, we tackle how to handle teachers and care providers not being emotionally connected to your kids. Disclaimer. We are not experts in any particular field. Nothing in this podcast should be taken as medical or legal advice. Welcome to the 9 o'clock. I'm Jack. I'm Gwenna. And today I'm going to be talking to Gwenna about responsive parenting. And specifically, I've got some questions I want to ask her about it. Which is interesting because we responsively parent together. <laughs> well, it's it's more or less uh, to clarify some things. So uh, something that actually gets asked to me from time to time, and I'm not 100% sure how to answer. So I'm hoping maybe you'll be able to uh, fill in my gaps. Um, oftentimes people want to know, as a responsive parent, how do you handle or what do you do if you have a kid who's in school and say you've got a teacher or grownups elsewhere that refuse to respond to parent or don't know what it is. Right. So they don't, uh, they don't really emphasize or focus on a kid's, uh, emotional development. Emotional development. Right. So thoughts? I, the, the jury is out. There's no one right way to raise a kid. There's no one right way to be a teacher. Um, I have what I think, I feel like it's an unpopular opinion in this state. I don't know if it actually is, though. Because as a responsive parent, my job extends to the role of parenting. Mm -hmm. So taking the children that we have made or procured through whatever reason and getting them to exist without us. Right. Happy, healthy, stable individuals capable of existing without their parents. Right. Um, and that does involve some level of preparation for other people who are not emotionally aware or emotionally developed or emotionally connected. And in a perfect world, would every teacher be able to take the time to walk your specific kid through their specific tantrum? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's utopian ideal is that everyone is on the same page and equally as dedicated to teaching functional tasks or in the case of a classroom, educational tasks and educational topics alongside and equal to the emotional development that needs to happen to become that happy, healthy, stable. Right. Okay. Right? So. I I don't feel like it's that big deal in most cases that your kid's teacher is not emotionally responsive or emotionally driven in their education setting. Um, does that kind of suck? Yes, it absolutely does. Does that mean you kind of have to double down on what you're doing in the home as a responsive parent to, yeah. Sometimes people don't care about your feelings and that feels unfair and that gives you even more feelings like it becomes a, it's an onion of a topic. <laughs> yeah, um, you you kind of have back. to peel through the layers, yeah. but I don't think it's that big a deal. Now, that said, there is a line that can be crossed. Can I can I tell a story? Yeah, go ahead. So in I was in eighth grade. And I was a gifted and talented kid. I'm a burnt out, gifted and talented kid, which is code for undiagnosed ADHD. And I, I'm now diagnosed. But at the time, in eighth grade, we didn't know I had ADHD because no. the pervasive thought at the time was that girls didn't have ADHD. It's not, it was a boy's disease. Yeah. And I, I was in the honors classes and I got to algebra one in eighth grade. And the first day we walked in and the teacher, I'm going to call her Miss Clark. I've changed the name for safety, privacy, and security, but I'm going to call her Miss Clark. Miss Clark stands up and says, I 
am here because I value the future of humanity and I feel like it's finally time to educate kids properly in math. Wow, that's very bold. A, very a bold. Um, and then she proceeded to tell us that she was really a professor at a college and she was choosing to do this for a little bit because the college students that she was getting were just woefully underprepared in math. And she was here to rectify that. Oh, so she, so she became a teacher on her own accord aside from being a professor. Yes. Like she, she felt a calling to it because the system was just not working. It was not, it was not putting out adequately educated students in mathematics. So she's going to fix it. She's going to fix it. Got it. Um, come to find out she was an adjunct at the community college. <laughs> now, this is no shade on people who are adjuncts at community colleges. But I've, I've met a ton of adjuncts from community colleges. I had some. Yeah. When I, when I went to community college. Right. Fine people. Fine people. Most of them did not like walk around saying the system's I'm a, broke. I'm going to fix it. I'm a college it by... professor. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then she told a group of, there was about 20 of us in this class, a group of 20 14 year olds mm -hmm. if at least five of you don't fail my class i have not done my job properly all right setting the bar uh just really real low, low. Yeah. really low <laughs> and then she gave us our final exam the the test that would become our final exam in algebra year. at the end of the year she made us take it right then and now, I'd, in my eight years of education, I'd seen this before where they kind of give you this, this is going to be your final exam. This is everything we're going to cover, and we'll get to all these things. But I just want you to see what it looks like, play around with it, and it will begin to make sense as we grow up. That is not what she did. She made us take the whole test, and then that was our first grade in the grade book. Oh, she made you take the final exam at the beginning of the at year. At the beginning of the year. And we took you, it again at the end of the year. And by this time, you hadn't touched. I'd been in pre-algebra. Okay. So, but no. So you had a basic understanding. Basic understanding. But no, I had not gone through a full Algebra 1 class to be able to understand the principles that I would be expected to know wow. while taking an Algebra 1. See, as a teacher, I, I could see doing that at the beginning of the class just to see if there's any exceptional students. Right, right. But, but like, it's not for a grade. everybody, right. that's insane. So we essentially started the beginning of the year failing the class. Because right. we all failed, obviously. We hadn't taken Algebra 1. Yeah. That's why we were there. So essentially, you get that first grade, and now you're playing catch-up on all the rest the of the The rest grades. of the year. Mm -hmm. So it, it sets the bar really low initially, mm -hmm. but then actually puts the bar so high yeah, out of no reach. one could ever make a hundred. And keep in mind, we're all honors kids. We're accustomed to 4.0s across the board. Right. You know, so yes, that that's an entire system that that's a different conversation of the gifted and talented programs and how they've been used well and how they've been used poorly. But this is the group that she was working with. We were the honors kids. We were the advanced class being an algebra one in eighth grade. And, and where we live, algebra one is a ninth grade course. So we were taking it in eighth grade. It sounds like she was... Uh... Treating, well, treating you like you were supposed to be the college students she was accustomed to teaching. She was supposed to, we were supposed to be the college students she was entitled to. Yeah. Was the issue. Yeah. Well, then it got, then it got worse. As the year went on, she was absolutely inept at instructing us. And at one point, a fellow student of mine, a classmate, had, not of mine, a fellow classmate of mine, um, had the audacity to ask a question. And I vividly remember this. Because it is one of those negative core memories. He asked about quadratic equations. I don't remember what question he asked, but she threw her whiteboard marker into the tray, put her hands on her hips, turned around and said, are you dumb? 
I have already explained this. And if it didn't get through your thick skull, I can't help you. And turned around and continued writing whatever she was writing on the board. I'm betting whatever question this student asked, everybody was leaning forward in their chair. Yeah, like, like you could in hear the, same... the collective, oh, yes. And like we all leaned forward a little bit, like I need this answer too. I'm confused yeah. about this. And just nothing, nothing. She could not, any question posed to her was not our lack of following. She viewed it as a personal attack on her ability to instruct. Wow. Yeah. and. To this day, I cannot solve for X and Y can F right off. <laughs> I, I have a hate-hate relationship with mathematics. So this is one of those things where this, this, this happened this year, that, that particular year, yeah. and you essentially checked out. I, I did. I did. When she yelled at my classmate that, are you dumb? Um, I exited the building mentally. Holy cow. I showed up to class every day and I think I got a B in that class, which luckily it was eighth grade. Those grades don't really count for anything. It's fine. But I withdrew from the honors program in mathematics after that. I was just in standard gen ed math, just minimum effort, which for an ADHD kid, not a good pathway to take. Right. We didn't know I was ADHD, but that one teacher ruined a subject for me because that one break point, that one point at which I should have been able to leap off and find love. Yeah. I found nothing but contention and anger and entitlement. And I didn't like it. And it was uncomfortable and it was harder than it needed to be. And I was just done. I, I stopped caring that math existed. It was a necessity of the curriculum and nothing more. That's not true. That's not what math is. That's not how math works. That's not how I found math to apply. Now, have I ever used a quadratic equation in my real life? No, I don't think so. Mainly because I don't know how to do them. <laughs> You're not even sure. <laughs> no, I'm not. Neither am I. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. But I couldn't identify one now if paid. Yeah. Um. And and there's a lot of factors that went into the dissolution of my relationship with math. But that teacher was definitely the linchpin it's in definitely it. Definitely the seed that, that yeah. really pushed it. Yeah. Holy cow. So, so that is an example of not okay. This yeah. is not just a teacher being overwhelmed or wrapped up in red tape or hands tied by various administrative policies or, you know, events that have already transpired. This was a teacher who was... I'm going to apply a, a bad word to it. She was borderline abusive as a teacher. She abused her power. She mentally and emotionally abused her students. She was still there the following year. I don't know how. I, I know my classmates. I knew many of their parents. My mom had a talk with the school about this particular teacher. Yeah. Um, and she was still there. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, you, you're right. That's a, that's a, a whole separate ball of wax yeah. in and of itself. But I am generally okay with not everyone in your kid's life is going to care about their fifis. And when those things happen, as long as we're not crossing into Miss Clark territory, um, as long as actual bad things, actual lines and boundaries are not being crossed. If it's just, look, Johnny, I know you're upset that we have to go into recess, but I'm going to need you to button it up, get in line and get back in the building. That's dismissive. That is not how I would speak to my children, but I am their parent and it is my job to make time and space for every little friggin' meltdown. Do you, do you think within reason it, it might even be healthy just 
to allow the kids to be exposed to different yeah. things like that. So you have a certain parenting style that you mm-hmm. like to go through. And whether it's parenting or not, you're responsive to your kid. Right. I'll just say that. Right. So interacting with other people in the world who are not responsive, do you think that could be a healthy thing to kind of help help give them some idea of what the world looks like outside of the home? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the older they get and the, so when you're, when you're a baby, your bubble is as far as your vision takes you. Mm -hmm. That's all the world that exists. As you get older, that expands to the house is my world. And now the yard and the neighborhood, now the school, the town, the state, I feel as an adult, my worldview kind of stops regionally with an awareness of everything that's beyond that right everything else feels surreal and my brain just doesn't apply the power necessary to rectify that yes england is a real place that you (laughs) could go to if you needed to (laughs) like logically i'm aware that england is a real place that i hear it's very beautiful and the people are preternaturally nice about stuff but that's not a part of my my functional world right now I don't want I don't want that to be perceived as she doesn't care about England. No, that's not. I believe that England exists. It has an impact. We're not talking about global economic impact. We're not talking about, you know, the things that are happening in Russia, Ukraine as as we are recording this. They do impact me. I recognize that. But as far as my functional world, it stops somewhere in Texas, Arkansas, Kansas. <laughs> like right. there's a bubble that I can draw from where I am. This far is is how much honestly that's matters. probably a pretty large bubble too probably and and I think that's a, a result of what I do yeah with my job yeah but for kids their world is most likely local like is, to your town right um for for Abby our eldest her world is it's big enough to encompass everything from the house all the way out to the edges of the town and maybe a little bit of the town north of us that what we call the city, mm-hmm. it's not the city, but it's what we call the city. Her worldview is, is large enough to encounter that. And as she is gaining more freedom, as we are moving some of those boundaries and acknowledging that her world has gotten so much bigger, um, she needs to be able to know how to deal with people who are mean for no reason. Right. She needs to know how to deal with. And unfortunately, I can do all the prep work I can. Sometimes people are mean for no reason. And here's how I would deal with this. But she's going to have to find herself in a spot where someone's mean for no reason. And then she can hopefully draw on what I've told her. But then it's going to be a lot of post-processing of, they called me a name. I I was just standing there. Right. Yeah. No, that's... People suck sometimes. And how did that make you feel? Why did it make you feel that way? Honestly, that that could be another podcast is uh, like the various, you could say, learning techniques. So one that comes to yeah. mind is the failure method, Yeah, which is essentially allowing a person to make mistakes mm-hmm. and then suffer so long as the consequences aren't great and sometimes, or dire. Sometimes in parenting, you also have to let natural consequences and and not even just natural consequences in the example of someone being mean for no reason of saying something about in fact this happened recently a total stranger was behind abby in the store and i was down the aisle a little bit and they said something snarky about her hair she has an undercut that's dyed pink right now Mm -hmm. and her hair was in a ponytail so she could see this and she made a snarky comment about kids these days it's so irresponsible to put colors like that on them Ugh, and then wandered off like didn't 
it wasn't directly addressed, but like this was a grown woman who had to know that this child was listening. And Abby was like, mom, what do I do? I was like, the way I handle it is turn around and say, thank you very much. And then just walk off. Is that the correct way? No, it's the way that I do it though. <laughs> I mean, in, in a sense, it, and if the person walked away afterward and she felt bad, I mean, right. You know, have so some there, pity on that was, person. Was they're, they're obviously in a place in their life that yeah. is not super healthy. So, but that's post-processing. Yeah. That's not necessarily, you didn't do anything wrong, but you're still dealing with consequences. How is that fair? It's not kid. Yeah. It's not. Yep. <laughs> It's definitely not. I mean, I'm 38 with facial piercings and brightly colored hair and stupid makeup 90% of the time, tattoos everywhere. Yeah, I absolutely get judged. And I'm just, I'm emotionally strong enough to, I didn't do it for you. So I don't care what you think of it. Yeah. Um, we have to give our kids those tools to get to that level of confidence of, I didn't shave the back of my head for you. So I don't care what you think of it. Yeah. Thank you very much. We don't have to be mean. We can be mad without being mean. Right. Tori Phantom says that all the time, and I agree with it. And allowing our kids to be exposed to icky situations, not illegal, not dangerous, not damaging, not traumatizing, but not shielding our kids from the jackwad at the store who's going to call out a 14-year-old for having pink hair doesn't give us an opportunity for when they're 27 and without us and some jackwad confronts them directly and wants to throw hands right because they have a facial piercing like or or vice versa if you're not if you weren't given the tools and the opportunities to figure out how to you might be the one throwing hands hands. yeah yeah so yeah um it's okay if your teacher is not totally on board with the way you parent your kid because they're not your kid's parents you are You've chosen methods that are working for your family. And sometimes that includes addressing people who don't care about your fifis. Right. All right. That's, uh, that's all I've got all right. today. Uh, anybody who is interested, we have some bonus content that's going to be up on YouTube. Yes. We'll have some, uh, some additional videos only available on so our YouTube channel. So if you don't already subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, the link will be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find it on our website or just look up Pleasant Peasant Media on YouTube and you'll find us. We are going to start dropping YouTube exclusives uh, over there. Now, they will be mini episodes, so most of our content will still be available on Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Yep. But if you're not on YouTube, check us out. All right. Bye. Peace. This has been a production of Pleasant Peasant Media. For questions, suggestions, professions of adoration, or to discuss sponsorship opportunities, email info at pleasantpeasantmedia.com.